Welcome to the Board of Excitement podcast from Public Grief Junkie. Hello and uh, welcome to our third podcast. Uh, my name's Paul again and uh, hello. This week what I thought we'd do, uh, we'd compare a couple of markets and this has come about because I've been reading something called Spitalfield's Life this week. Now, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Spitalfield's Life is a blog and now a book um, based upon uh, life in Spitalfields. It's by a bloke called The Gentle Author, which isn't his real name, um, but that's that's the name he goes by, a nom de plume. And uh, if you don't know what Spitalfields is, it's an area of London that's also a market. It's very famous for its market, Spitalfields Market, and the other little markets that kind of feed off it. Um, geographically, if you come out of Liverpool Street Station, cross Bishopsgate and go into the, follow your nose into the back streets, if you turn left... That's Spitalfields. If you turn right, that's Whitechapel. It's the kind of traditional East End with Mile End and Bethnal Green and all that as well. Okay, uh, what Spitalfields life is, and why I found it interesting, is because it's a very different uh, approach to stuff um, that I find myself compelled to take. Um, he doesn't write exclusively about markets. He's writing about the Spitalfields area, uh, but he does talk about a lot of market traders. And uh, it, it, I say I don't want to detract from the work. It's, it's a great piece of work. And uh, yeah, I mean, at least read his blog, if not buy the whole book. Um, but it just differs somewhat from my experience. I kind of wanted to uh, compare the two. What I've done is I don't have the book to hand. So I thought uh, I'd write something in the style of Spitalfield's life. And that's what I'm going to read first. Okay. So strap yourselves in and uh, let's go. See these marks, my love. Teeth marks. That's from where I try and bite my own fucking hand off for this stuff every morning. Sometimes I have to be restrained. The Ballad of Old Tom. A friendly twinkle lights up old Tom's face as he slowly but surely trundles across the old grey cobbles with his traditional barra and traditional crates. Traditional crates, these, he says, and again, there's that twinkle, the best kind. Old Tom's family have lived around here nine generations because they are boring and have no imagination. Traditional folk, you see. My great-great-grandfather married a pie and mash shop in Canning Town in 1879, and we've been here ever since. He laughs, a good East End laugh, and it brings a twinkle to his eye. We've seen it all, he says, laughing, but I can't remember it now. He pauses and starts to move the old, dignified wooden crates from his old, traditional barrow. The kind of barrow that seems to laugh like an elderly child full of stories of an East End which has seen it all. I see the names of long-gone places, seemingly from another world and different time, but still fresh and exciting, painted onto the crates of a paint that seems to laugh from the morning breeze like a traditional Cockney seagull. Lewisham, Poplar, Bow, Plasto. What can they mean? It's Cockney non-rhyming slang, says old Tom, laughing with a twinkle in his eye. Lewisham means bicycle. Poplar means Bournemouth. Bow means lions. Plasto means a fall on the stairs, he explains. It was a special language invented by the criminal element so they wouldn't understand each other. He gives a far-off sigh with his eyes. You don't get that anymore, he says. For the first time, I notice old Tom's shoes, which have cobblestones attached to the soles. These are my cobble shoes, smiles old Tom, laughing. It means I could walk on cobblestones wherever I go, which is only round here. We wouldn't walk on anything else in the old days. You don't see cobble shoes anymore, but there was a time when everyone wore them, and cobble gloves, which were the same but for your hands. Like so many things of old Tom, 
It's part of a world that is still with us if we close our eyes and make it up. I leave old Tom, much as I found him, filling an old Joanna with eels. But eels laughing a laugh of the old East End, with their eyes twinkling and laughing. God bless you, old Tom, I find myself saying aloud as he vanishes into the fog. God bless you, old Governor Tom. Just to contrast Spitalfield's life with what I have to deal with, uh, I've, here's a bit of um, some stuff I'm writing. And these are little bits and bobs from further on uh, in the stuff I read the other week. And this concerns my first day at Camden and also the importance of stall clips is a little bit disjointed because they are just chunks from the first and the same chapter. All right. They're not supposed to go together in like, they won't go together in the end. All right. Uh, but anyway, here they are. Haggling. That ain't haggling. That's just saying numbers, mate, isn't it? Okay. Before we go any further with this bit, um, it does mention something called girlfriend experience. Um, if you don't know what girlfriend experience is, you'll know in a minute, right? Um, Cause point out, I was there in a non-professional capacity. I didn't get the girlfriend experience, um, but I was kind of whatever in in a in a flat when other people were getting girlfriend experience. Just want to clear that up. Thank you. Okay. Chapter two: Stage fright, in which we discover an erroneous belief, and things get trickier for everyone. There is a belief that the biggest benefit of self-employment is the ability to be your own boss. This is erroneous in every respect. When you become self-employed, you have six billion bosses, because suddenly everyone on the planet is your boss. It's quite an organisational chart. To give you an idea, six billion names written underneath each other in a standard newspaper typeset, which stretch from Big Ben to the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and yours would be at the bottom of it, hopefully at the Big Ben end. If you must insist upon seeing yourself as your own boss in the face of this, you should see yourself as the kind of boss that you would punch in the face at the Christmas party. Myself, I tend to substitute the phrase making it up as you go along for being your own boss. One of the many ways you can see how precarious the whole thing is and also more fully understand why most people are far better off not being their own boss, you can always wander along to Camden Lock Market and go toe-to-toe with the general public. It's a bugger to park near, though, especially if you are freshly and copiously thrown up in the car you're trying to park. On our first trading day, Nick threw up five times on the drive down from Kilburn, once without managing to open a door or window first, and the effects of parking in a supermarket near Primrose Hill was all but overwhelming him. Nick doesn't live in Kilburn, and neither do I. I had spent the previous night in a non-professional capacity there with Kelly, a prostitute of my acquaintance, and they could pick me up by the tube station on the way through from Ryslip Manor. He'd been at a wedding reception until the early hours and was feeling the physical effects. I had been introduced to girlfriend experience until the early hours and was feeling the mental effects. If you are unfamiliar, girlfriend experience is a relatively recent addition to the bewildering range of acronyms and terms with which the oldest and bleakest profession is liberally littered, and it basically means that the prostitute concerns dispenses affection and cuddles and all the things which I'm sure that most of the time you'd really rather not if you were in her situation. I suggested adding boyfriend experience to the deal, where I could burst into the room midway through, pretending to have come home early from work and demanding to know what the hell was going on. For the record, my favourite term for professional sex act is shake and vac. 
I won't describe it in detail. Suffice it to say that it is an imaginatively observational description borrowed from a brand of carpet cleaner widely advertised on British television in the 1980s. I'm not sure how far a shaken back from a competitively priced 21st century prostitute would, to quote the original advertising slogan, put the freshness back, but I can also think of worse ways to spend an evening. And at 30 quid, an accurate price at time of going to press, it's an ideal present for Dad on Father's Day. As irrelevant as this all sounds, if you have enough patience, you can learn almost anything from almost anything. Therefore, nothing is ever irrelevant. And for this reason, we should make a note of girlfriend experience and remember to pop back to it later on. What do you mean I've got to haggle? No, I haven't. You might have to haggle. I'm going to do nothing. Stool clips are the large bulldog type that are used to hold things to other things. In this case, material and light fittings to a stool frame. Without them, the whole informal economy would collapse in about 40 seconds. Not only are they vitally important in this aspect, they also provide entertainment. One summer at Camden, it was fashionable for traders to test their bravery by attaching stool clips to their earlobes and seeing how long the considerable pain thus generated could be borne. 15 seconds was, I recall, considered a suitable test of character and manliness. Dave, at a loose end one quiet Tuesday afternoon, persuaded Christian, a likeable and unassuming t-shirt vendor, to undergo the stool clip test. He chose particularly vicious clips with very strong springs, and as Christian kept one eye on his watch, Dave applied them in the prescribed manner, one to each earlobe. I was not the only person impressed with Christian's ability to wear the clips for a full minute while simultaneously swearing and trying desperately to free his arms, which Dave had pinned to his sides as a surprise. He was not the only victim that summer. I have in my possession a photograph of Dave with notable Camden vinyl trader DJ Boo leaning on my stool shortly after the earlobe incident. Boo is smiling happily, and while Dave has a look that suggests accelerating mischief. Five seconds after the photo was taken, Dave wrestled Boo to the ground and in the ensuing melee attached a stool clip to his testicles. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, and now, it's last week's blog, which I think went up last Thursday. Blog. Dear Rachel, you can't have fat mods. It's not allowed. Understated tailoring doesn't work over £160, and scooters are very hard to control at low speeds. And while I'm not fat as such, I am increasingly unthin. In my usual direct manner, I recently decided that instead of dieting in a conventional way, I would simply stop eating. Or rather, eat as little as I could, for as long as I could, every day, and see what happened. One of the things that happened, although probably unrelated, was finding myself refereeing a dispute between Danny and Keith over post-trading beverages at Greenwich Market. Danny and Keith have argued about almost every single thing on earth, although are always happy to explore new ground. As if to prove this, the lyrics of My Old Man's a Dustman by Lonnie Donegan were being called into question. Danny withheld that the correct chorus was, he wears gore blimey trousers and he lives in a council flat. Keith, however, maintained that the trousers were brown corduroy and that Danny was deaf and an idiot. Lonnie Donegan was also responsible for such deathless classics as Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavour on the Bedpost Overnight? and You'd Have to Speak Up, I've Got Beans in My Ears. But these remained unreferenced, as Danny said, I left a book of Lonnie Donegan lyrics round your place when I was having a go on your missus the other day. I'll give her a quick bell and we'll sort this out in a favourite debating strategy of his. At this point, 
I compromised my impartiality by saying, actually, Keith, he's got a point. I also had a garden bar buddy the other day and saw it on the dressing table next to that photograph of Jamal from the kebab shop she's put in that nice frame. To cushion the blow, I pointed out that I hadn't planned to have a go on her, but I missed my bus and didn't want to wait about in the rain. After what can only be described as a hurricane of violent and foul language, during which we nonetheless ascertained that the correct lyric is indeed gore blimey, I finished my drink and wandered off to Greenwich Station. Having lost £20 in five weeks, I was surprised at how squiffy I was. I put this down as a benefit of dieting and reported it to Michelle, a jewellery vendor. Yes, isn't it brilliant, she replied. I'm a size six, but that's why I keep doing it. Apart from making alcohol far more potent, dieting sometimes makes you miss stuff. If someone, for example, mentions eating an entire gatto, you can find yourself thinking, you know what, now you mention it, I do fancy eating an entire gatto, yes. I have discovered that this also applies to kicking it off in pubs. I popped into the St Christopher by Greenwich Station for a swift one while waiting for my train, and standing at the bar watching the footy, found myself subjected to the thinly veiled taunts and insults by the staff, who seemed intent upon antagonising their patrons. After about 10 minutes, one of the barmen stamped off to find the landlord after the bloke next to me demanded change from the £20 note he had handed over, rather than a tenner it seemed to have magically transformed into when it reached the till. I defended my new companion, who turned to me and said, I can't be seen to start anything as I'm on probation, but if you want to kick it off, I'll follow you in and we'll say he slaps you first. This was my gatto moment. I realised that actually, now he mentioned it, I did quite fancy kicking it off, yes. For a second or two, I considered the implications of a return to recreational violence. Coming out of retirement did wonders for Tom Jones, after all. However, this line of reasoning is also why I'm threatened with being locked in a wardrobe whenever West Ham play Millwall. And in any case, 40 is an undignified age to be assaulting bar staff, no matter how much they might be asking for it. In the event, the landlord appeared, fired two of them on the spot, apologised to everyone and bought the entire pub a drink, which, as you can probably imagine, rapidly elevated the place to the greatest hostelry the world has ever seen. I was quietly up by this point, and, declining the offer of a further pint with my new friend, decided to head back over the water and catch up with the goat bag man and the other East End traders. On autopilot, I went to the Duke of Wellington public house, Toynbee Street, London E1, and discussed the evening's events with Vinnie the landlord. After a short time, I saw that my need for familiar surroundings had led me to the wrong pub. I was in the Duke, but everyone else was in the pride of Spitalfields, which is down Fashion Street and across Brick Lane, on Henniage Street. Resolving that I wasn't going to move, I rang the goat bag man and demanded that everyone made their way over, as I had a good view of the footy, which was by this point reaching an intriguing finale and didn't fancy shifting. I am a happy drunk and, finishing another pint, had a change of heart. Ringing the goat bag man again, I said that upon reflection, it wasn't really cricket for me to expect everyone to leave the pride, so instead I would magnanimously go over there. We've just got up and headed to the door on your bloody account, said the goat bag man, failing to see how reasonable I'd been. I'll see if we can get our table back. I bade goodnight to Vinnie and strolled along Brick Lane, touched and heartened that friends, colleagues and acquaintances would voluntarily change pubs to keep me company. I explained this to the goat bag man when I got there. Oh, don't worry, he said. We were giving you a right slagging off. It's true, confirmed artist Lou sagely. We really were. A sentiment independently verified and subsequently recapped in great detail for my benefit over the rest of the evening by Viren, Sox, and, as I left, Upmarket John. (laughs) 
so that's that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed all that stuff. Um, that's us done for this week. Thanks for popping along. If you want to get a hold of us, it's podcast at publicgriefjunkie.com or I'm around on uh, at Grief Junkie uh, on Twitter if you if you like Twitter. And it is, it is boring. I keep up to date with it. If you did, you know, tweet me or message me or whatever, I get it. But I'm not really... It's just boring, really. Um... So, yes, yeah, so thanks as ever to uh, Richie at Little Rock Audio. Uh, thanks for popping by, and uh, mind, there you go, and we'll see you next week. Ta da! That was issue three of the Board of Excitement podcast from Public Grief Junkie. Thanks for listening. Some folks give tips at Christmas, and others they forget. So, when he takes their dustbins, he spills some on the step. An old man, he got angry, and to the council wrote, so my old man went round there and punched him up the throat. Oh, my old man, did I smell, et cetera. Brilliant. That is great. Punched him up the throat, Richie.